You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 628 for October 4th, 2023. On this episode, bassist Todd Sikafus. Members of the Jazz Session also get This I Dig of You, the Patreon bonus show on which I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that is bringing them joy. Todd talks about living in Mexico for a year. I'm really trying to push the concept of being a member now. You'll be seeing that on the Jazz Sessions social media over the next couple of weeks. Many, 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 many people listen to this show, and very few of them are paying supporters. And look, I know times are tough for a lot of people, but if times are not too tough for you— at least not tough enough that $5 a month would be a big imposition, then I encourage you to go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member. You get early access to every show. You get a bonus show. You get behind-the-scenes information. You get other bonus material. You get thanked on an episode. But most importantly, this show has been going now for 16 and a half years, more than 600 episodes. It's been documenting this music since before any other podcast was doing that. I think that's worth supporting, and if you do too, I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member. For every episode, I choose one Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that episode. This time around, it's brought to you by Colleen Kennedy, who is a personal friend of mine. Thanks, Colleen. Todd Sikafusa's new album is called Bear Proof. Here's the opening track. Welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you, Jason. Really nice to be here. Thanks. It is such a pleasure to have you on. We are here uh, to talk about the new record, Bear Proof, which every time I've listened to it, it has brought to mind that Walt Whitman line about, I am large, I contain multitudes, because this record seems mm. to have everything in it. Like from, from moment to moment, it just, uh, I, this is a hackneyed phrase, but it takes you, at least it took me on a journey, uh, which I have really, really enjoyed. And I thought maybe we could just start. Can you can you give me the origin story of this music? I was guessing maybe from the liner notes that it was for a commission, but I certainly could be wrong about that. I'd love to hear how it germinated. Yeah, it, it was for a commission. It was a, a Chamber Music America commission back back a ways, uh, back a few years. 
but the 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 musical impetus for it was just me wanting to do something different than the record that I had made called Tiny Resistors. That music and the way that we played that music after we made the recording was was beautifully loose and and very different every time and open to all sorts of different people coming in and and bringing their strong personalities and by design it was sort of a freewheeling machine in that way and i wanted to make something more specific so that's what this piece is i i I really tried to swing the pendulum the other way and make something that was repeatable so a lot of the complex textures i think i tried to make to make a piece where those things are still there but they're they're baked into the piece they're written they're they're scripted so that this hour-long uninterrupted piece of music can generally be a thing that 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 can get repeated from night to night obviously there is still a lot of spontaneity. There's a lot of invitation for people to step forward and bring something to it. But the, a lot of times there's kind of an idea of what the person might do compositionally in a stronger way than than some of the other music that I've made in this piece. Did you write this piece with the particular players in mind or just that instrumentation? Or was it not even as specific as that when it started out? I did have these particular people in mind. I think that was probably the top of my list for why these eight instruments came together. You know, it was probably personalities first. But that said, I do think that there's a beautiful kind of, I I think I was tending, maybe without even thinking about it that much, to collect folkier instruments, maybe instruments that have a little bit less of that hard to define jazz baggage and and their instruments that together make a kind of kaleidoscope of infinite doublings and triplings and i feel like even after an hour you're you're barely scraping the surface of what would be possible to do with 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 these instruments but that's a beautiful thing about about music Just take us through the ensemble before we uh, go further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The record. Sure. Yeah. So, so there's the there's. It's almost like there's pairs, I guess. 
Well, there's two strings. And so there's violin and bass. Jenny Scheinman's the violinist. I play the bass. There's Alison Miller on drums. There's Adam Levy on guitar. There's Eric Deutsch on piano. He's the only one who's unavailable for the shows that we're going to do coming up. And he'll be replaced by Carmen Staff. He's really great. Let's see. Rob Reich on accordion. And then the two horns, which are Kurt Knafke and Ben Goldberg on clarinets. Actually, I shouldn't say clarinets, plural. I think of him now as always having two clarinets because he's got that big contralto. But on this, you know, I think this piece got written before he bought that thing. <laughs> so that tells you, that tells you, you know, it's, it, it, I've been doing this piece for a minute. It, 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 it sat. It, it sat around and didn't didn't get much love for a, a few years, but now we're coming back to it. And you mentioned a list of names. For, I will mention, first of all, just self-servingly, that most of those folks have been on the jazz session. So if folks want to go into the archives, most of those people are there, including, in fact, both Eric and Carmen. So you can hear who plays piano on the record and who will be playing on the shows. But most of the folks that you mentioned, well, really all of these folks are people with their own projects, their own really distinct and strong musical personalities. And I'm just curious how you melded those people. I mean, I, I would say a hallmark of their personalities is their cooperativeness as musicians. But I'm curious how you, as yeah. as the leader of the project, melded these really distinct individual voices into a unit and how you kind of conceptualize that as you were doing the writing? Well, I don't know if I needed to do much to make that happen. I mean, part of the beauty of this particular group of people is that they are delightful people, but they also sort of delight each other. And so you just get everybody in the same room and this, this stuff's going to start happening. So what, what I had provided was a, a project for us, a 65-minute roadmap of, of what to do together. So in the very first time that we got together to play and perform the music a bunch of nights in a row and perform it live on the radio even, and then go into the studio. We did have a, a nice, I think it was over a week. We had many days to rehearse, which always feels like a luxury at this point in life. And we made use of that. So we, we got to go deep into it.
Yeah, you mentioned the story of performing it live. I can't remember if it's in the liner notes or the press release, but in, in one of those places, you mentioned that story of performing it live on the radio, which is just a really charming story. Can you just say more about that? As a radio person, I really love well, the whole oh, yeah, good. vision. Yeah, yeah, I think it's few and far between the people who would actually, you know, you know, I don't know, not 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 only let us do it, but ask ask for us to do it. And and the person responsible in that moment was Dirk Richardson, who has a a great radio show on KPFA called Here and Now. He's since retired that show, but he's still active in music and writing and a wonderful person and thinker and and lover of music. But so he you know the KPFA studio is just basically a little, little um it's like a little classroom and but it sounds somehow surprisingly sounded good. And there's an engineer who really cares about what he's doing there so that goes a long way but dirk just sat amongst us i i'm, I'm not sure how much we all talked about how it was going to work once we got going but the, the piece has no break so every now and then he just <laughs> would get this big grin on his face because he realized he had a chance something had gotten quiet for a moment and he would do the station identification which was required of him <laughs> and we'd all sort of smile at each other because it's just a little bit ridiculous and <laughs> mischievous. Uh, I love that. Y you mentioned that, you know, this is intended to be played straight through and that's the way you recorded it as well, right? Can you talk a little bit about the recording session for this? Mm -hmm. We recorded it at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley with a great engineer named Adam Munoz. RIP Fantasy it no longer exists in the, in, in the, the state that it did then. but we got in there and i think i you know it's been a few years so i have to refresh my memory but i think that the conception was to go in and play it as a whole thing although i'm not sure i believed my own idea of doing that until we got there and it seemed possible there's a little bit of choreography with it of course and, you know people have to put things down and move music and pick up mutes and pick up bows and put them down so, but those things can be worked with, and and we did it. the The record is take two. We did we you know the first day we set up and did a full take, and then we went and had dinner and said, okay, that's good. And we came back in the morning. When you when you have a recording session, there it's always. I mean, I think every musician probably has an experience with this. It's great to have that second day because you come back in the morning and everything is beautifully all set up and you don't have to talk about anything which sometimes gets in the way and so you can just go in and use that morning energy i i heard a story i don't know whether it's true one time that bitches brew was all recorded really early in the morning it was during a period when miles was working out a lot and he would go to the gym in the afternoon and so you know this music that you think is quintessentially late night music was all recorded at 9 15 a.m i think that's always a beautiful time of day to make music yeah that's the miles davis equivalent of you know 80 percent of the christmas music that we love having been recorded in august yeah that's right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true <laughs> well 
Let's take a quick break from the episode so that I can remind you that you can support what I do and help keep the archives freely available for everyone by becoming a member for $5 a month. The Jazz Session has been around since 2007. It was the first jazz interview podcast. It is, therefore, the longest running because it's been going all the years since then. Uh, This show has followed many musicians over the course of their careers. It has welcomed musicians who were essentially unknown onto the show. It's not just the big names that make it on the cover of the magazines. It's also musicians who are just starting out. It's musicians who play very avant-garde music. It's all kinds of folks who fall under the improvised music umbrella. And the massive archives of that 16 and a half year effort are available online for free to everyone all the time. And how that is a thing that can keep happening is because people decide to do more than listen, they become members. So I'm asking you to become a member today at thejazzsession.com slash join. You get a bonus episode with every regular show. You get early access to every episode. You get other bonus episodes as well. You get behind the scenes updates from me. All that for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. I know times are tough for a lot of people, but if they're not super, super tough for you, I would really appreciate it if you could help me out. Thank you. I also write press releases and artist bios and liner notes for musicians, and I've done that for folks that you've heard on this show and for others, including non-jazz musicians. You can see samples of my work at cranewrites.com. If you are interested in hiring me, get in touch with jason at cranewrites.com. Now back to the episode. come back to a thing you said early on about the replicability of this piece. Can you give us just a a little bit of a guide or a roadmap to the balance of composition versus improvisation in this piece and and how you arrived at that? Mm -hmm. Well, there's probably a lot more writing and organized stuff and and organized background material and kind of scripted landscape of solos than anything that I've else that I've done in this vein. But sometimes that stuff's a little it's liberating. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of playing. There's a lot there's you know everybody steps forward a bunch of times over the course of the hour, but there are big sections where it's all written and I don't know. I love transitions in music. <laughs> so to to not stop feels like oh you get more of this thing that I always I think is one of the main attractions. I love the relationships between something and where it where it's gonna go and long arcs. And so I guess it just kind of tried to dive into the deep end of that stuff. You mentioned how many combinations are possible with this ensemble. And that's one of the things I I really love besides just the changes in in theme and feel and rhythmic ideas and those things, but just the way 
people are are paired and made into little trios and sometimes someone steps to the fore and sometimes a group of people step to the fore it's it's just really wonderful it feels like the sonic landscape is just constantly evolving and shifting not in not in a way that makes me feel like i'm not sure where i am necessarily but just in a way that makes the moments feel new again and again which i think is really fun um, oh wonderful i love like hearing that that's great was it fun for you? I mean, it it feels a bit like a you know the kid in the candy store, the kid in the toy shop, in terms of being an arranger for this this piece of all these all these little combinations of people you can put together. I it, that seems like it would be fun. I've, I've never done it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and you're working with these instruments, but also these people who um, bring so much and 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 uh, are delightful to imagine. Oh yeah, I I I can tell how Jenny will play this. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, that's great. There's a few other areas I I want to cover. Your your work is is pretty vast, and we're not going to adequately cover any of it. But I do want to ask you about a few other things. One is I just and I will we will come back to the record, but I do want to ask about Hades Town. Many people will be familiar with that. You won a Tony for that. You produced a Grammy winning album for it. Can I just ask, how did you come to be involved in that? And anything you'd like to say about that experience, which I know has occupied a, a fair amount of the last chunk of time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's been, at times it's been all-encompassing. And I wore many hats, so uh, sometimes those overlapped and or I just quickly trade one for the other. Uh, like a lot of things in my life, I, I really owe meeting Anais Mitchell to my friend and oftentimes boss, Ani DeFranco. In 2005, Anais was out opening for us and instantly blew my the top of my head off of my brain. And we became quick friends. And uh, at the point, in which Aeneas came to realize that she was going to be able to make a studio recording of this project that she had been working on, that she had been telling us about, she asked me to produce it. At that point, it did already exist as theatrical production. It was, it was on stage, but in the most DIY, <laughs> unrecognizable state to anybody who knows it, from its incarnation on 48th Street, but so, but but not, but recognizable in a lot of ways, in the most important ways, it was already capturing our imaginations and making us want to do anything for Aeneas because she was clearly onto something. So at that point, knowing that I was going to produce that record, I offered to do anything she needed me to do and the form that that took was going to play bass in one of these little tours of the northeast where we performed Town in, in small regional theaters just a night in each place traveling with in a yellow school bus and that was a great way to get deep inside the project from the very beginning really get to know michael chorney understand where everything was coming from and so that was 2006. We we eventually made the record. I think we recorded it in 2009 and it came out in 2010. And then it just became a music project for many years. The form it was taking, 
maybe some people are uh, were aware of this at the time. NAS would pick a region, say the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, get in touch with some outstanding singer songwriters or or people who could be roped into performing some of the different roles oftentimes she would be eurydice and get together and rehearse and then do a bunch of shows in that region this happened over and over and it was a great way for the project to just sort of keep having a life and keep involving more interesting people and it was a great thing and that 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 went on for a couple of years and pretty much led right up to the the time in which the producer her name is Mara Isaacs approached Anais she's still the producer on the on the project she she was there from this initial time she came to Anais and said I think we have you ever thought about putting this back on the stage and so that opened the door to everything that's happened since well, it's uh, it's an amazing project, and anyone who's listening to this who hasn't checked it out, I I strongly encourage you to do so because it will it will definitely reward you. You kind of prefigured another thing I, I wanted to ask you about, and I, I guess I'll just preface this by saying in, in 1993, when I was 19, I was living in, in Rochester, New York, and was working in a bank. I was extremely unhappy. I wasn't really sure what I was doing with my life. And I, I ran into a friend who I had known years before, and she said, oh, I'm going to a show by this singer-songwriter. Do you want to come? I said, who is it? She said, it's Ani DeFranco. I said, yeah, sure. I don't know who that is, but sure. And so this was 93. This was when it was Ani and Andy playing duo shows. And so we went. And then we just kind of dedicated the next little chunk of our lives to driving to all these little towns where they were playing when when they would still like, you know, just be hanging out with the fans ahead of time. And we were like sitting on church basement floors and, you know, going to all these early shows. And yes. so that was a such a massive influence on kind of how I thought about the world and how I thought about many specific parts of who I am as a person. And I say all of that just to say that I am quite emotionally invested in one of your other jobs, which you've already mentioned, which is <laughs> that you you play with Ani and have for a long time. And I would I would just love to hear anything you want to say about what that experience has been like. And I know I'm asking you these mass questions about massive parts <laughs> of your life. But anyway, for whatever you'd like to say, I'd I'd be thrilled to hear it. Well, it's it's great because there is no way to summarize it for for me. So so anywhere I start is just as valid. That's the, that's the beauty of it. 
I mean, you play with people for a really long time and you just don't know what's around the next corner. And, and the, the, the amazing thing with her is it's always been some, something new and something interesting. And, you know, if, if, for those of us who love spontaneity and music, that is her jam too. Not in the same way we're playing songs, you know, they're poems. There's a lot about what she's doing with her left hand and what she's doing with her right hand. And by the way, I, I've watched her do that for 20 years and I still have no idea how, how she's singing those rhythms over the rhythms that she's playing. But, you know, so these things, they're songs and we're, and we're playing them night, night after night different songs every night, but she wants them to be fresh. She wants them to sound different. She wants our, our, our input and our, and our, the choice of our arrangements to be different all the time. And so that's a beautiful thing. And it has kept it evolving all these years, I think. At this point, you know, for a while, it was sort of like I was the through line, but at the, at this point, I, I almost, think that it's it's just as much the drummer who's been with her for 10 years now terrence higgins god he gets her on such a deep level and sometimes i just sometimes the best bass playing is no bass playing <laughs> <laughs> that's a little I'm, zen koan right there <laughs> well you know what i got it from my dentist today who like the best dentists said it about dentistry today <laughs> <laughs> The way those two play 16th notes together, I could listen to for many years. So there I am. Uh, a thing I don't actually know is how you started that gig. Mm. Well, I was playing a lot with a singer-songwriter from San Francisco named Noe Venable, a kind of wild and super creative song person. And... She was opening for Ani on these quite long tours. One of them happened in, I want to say 2001. It was six weeks. And then again in 2003, and that was another six weeks. The first time, Ani had her six-piece band with the horns and Julie Wolf playing keys and drums and bass. Man, loved that band. And uh, got to hear them every night for six weeks. In the year in between, she sort of wanted to go back to her roots. She disbanded that project and started playing solo again. And so that was the format that she was playing in when I went back out with Noe the second time. So Noe and I were a duo and Ani was playing solo. And But she was out there talking on the phone a lot with producer and, and also wonderful songwriter Joe Henry about him working on one of her records which happened that one's called knuckle down and okay. joe's normal wrecking crew of people jay bellarose on drums and patrick warren on keys and all those people were all available but david pilch his sort of go-to bass player wasn't and lucky for me because she said ah there's this guy right in front of me <laughs> Maybe we should use him. So in in that was the first thing that she hired me for. But in the course of traveling, we started rehearsing these songs backstage and just fell in love with 
playing with each other. And I don't know, there was just a something chemistry wise that just really worked about it. And it was in the days before smartphones. But I remember when I got back from that tour, she had left when I, while I'd been in the air, she left me a voice message on my little dumb phone that said, that recording session's a long way off. If you ever want to play before then, just come out and play with me. So we did that for a year. We played just duo and then started adding more people after that. That's fabulous. Thank you for that, that story. I appreciate it. Let's turn our attention back to the the record as we are kind of drawing toward a close. Both the liner notes and the song titles of this album seem to offer some commentary on where we find ourselves these days. And I'd be interested to hear anything you want to say about that. I've always felt a little trepidation about talking too much about what I might have meant with some of these song titles and the, the theme of this piece. I mean, it really, I think, I think where it's come, it was coming from is watching the sort of millennium exodus of artists and particularly musicians from the Bay Area and that kind of crush of big tech on San Francisco and just feeling like everything in California is always a boom and a bust and you just get you just get ruined on the other side and and it's a story that just happens over and over in all these different ways and so that's what i was thinking about but i wanted it to be really open and so that's why i i i like the idea of just having these song titles and they clearly are something that i was thinking about with the music in a kind of cinematic way, but I want them to be in in the listener's mind. I, I, I want if they're going to be fleshed out, I want them to be fleshed out in the listener's mind. Before we close, are there other projects that are in the hopper now? Other things you're working on that you might want to mention? Hmm, well, I already wrote another record's worth of you know tiny resist I, I think what's going to happen is i'm going to swing the pendulum back the other way because because <laughs> i i love studio uh, studio creativity too much to not go back to making another record that way so i'm itching to get working on that i've been writing music for projects in other mediums i've been working on music with a woman who makes a podcast called Threshold, which I feel really strongly about. It's it's a climate 
related environment, sort of environmental journalism related podcast, but it really tries to make a case for that sort of that topic being more about story, stories and storytelling and, and artistry. And I, I, I think it's, it's very moving what Amy has created. So I, I really enjoy making music for her and for that show. So I'm going to start doing another season of work with that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to use that as a perfect segue for the last thing I want to say. I've already been kind of self-indulgent on the Ani thing, but what the hell? If you don't have your own show, I don't know what else you can be self-indulgent. So I will just say that your name conjures really strong, positive feelings in my brain, not just because I enjoy the music that you make on your own, but because your music is the music for one of my favorite podcasts, which is Poetry Off the Shelf. Oh, yeah. I think Helena de Groot, who's the interviewer on that show, and Curtis Fox before her, it's unbelievable because I thought he was one of the best interviewers in any medium. And then when he left, I was really devastated. And when she came in, she's equally as good, just one of the best shows, in my opinion, ever. And as a poet, I desperately love it. So I listen to these amazing interviews she does with poets. And your music then plays at the end, and she always says your name. So your name just is so closely associated <laughs> for me with great poetry, because you play with Ani, who was one of the first people who opened me up to the medium period of poetry. And then now, every time I listen to an episode of that show, I hear Todd Sikafus at the end, and I just think, man, man I, I just love, love this guy. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> so I just wanted you to know before we close. I, I have to tell you a little thing, which is that that for a while, I think it's kind of ebbed now but for a while fresh air was using a few tracks of mine as as music and i noticed that they must have tagged something as good for music about brains because anytime there would be a neurosurgeon or something on it was always this it was always that track tiny resistors i thought that was so great that's fabulous well, the new record is called Bear Proof. My guest is Todd Sikafus. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time to do it, Todd. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks to my guest, Todd Sikafus. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. Message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the introduction. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at the Jazz Session. I have another podcast. It's called A Brief Chat. It's also an interview show, but with no specific topic. It's just interesting folks talking about interesting things. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcasts, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. If you value what you just heard, I would really appreciate it if you'd become a member. It's five bucks a month. It's at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.